Welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. This one is football this time. We're back. It's me, myself, and Ryan. That's me. <laughs> and I'm joined today, of course, by Alex and recruiting specialist and all-around football know-it-all, Nathan Hill. Are we excited today, guys? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it we sounds must, like yeah. it. It sounds like it. Well, so it's excited. media day. Always like being described as a know-it-all. That always feels good. So. <laughs> All right. So, Alex, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel good. I am currently troubleshooting with... I accidentally deleted the depth chart thing that I was going to be looking um, at. So right. I'm trying to get that back. So... Stand by. Oh, and I just deleted it out of my recently deleted, so it's just gone now. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Off the top, off the top of our heads. We'll, yeah, just gotta, just, just gotta remember it now. All right, but yeah. So uh, I guess we could start with, you know, today was kind of meet the Sooners Day. Mm-hmm. There were a couple press conferences. Lincoln Riley and Mike Stoops talked to the media. And Nathan, I know, is the only one that was able to watch or hear them because I was trying to get them to load on Sooner Sports and they just wouldn't play for me. So, yeah, that's messed up. So, Nathan, do you have any like quick things that stood out to you from the press conferences? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, So the first thing that I y'all always notice in these press conferences and every is that everyone has to ask the same question about 10 times. So we heard a lot about how both Kyler and Austin are trying really hard to win this job, but that there's no current quarterback uh, that's won the job. So that was a little annoying, but we did learn a few things. Um, Lincoln talked about a few injuries, updating the injury situation. I know he talked about, I think the most, breaking of them was that uh, Prentice McKinney is going to miss the season with shoulder surgery, but let's, let's be real. He wasn't going to play. If he did play, it's going to be on special teams. So I think it's kind of a minimal impact. I think the thing that bothers me the most about Prentice McKinney missing this season is that it means he's going to probably be on the roster next season and use up a scholarship. Is that a bad thing to say? Is that maybe a bad person? I see. That was my (laughs) first thought. That was my first thought whenever I heard that as well. Um, and, I mean, no offense to Prentice McKinney, but the guy's been here for – this is his fourth year on campus now, right. and he's – like, he's never played a meaningful snap here. You know what I mean? So there's – Right. You know, there's something missing there, um, whether it be work ethic, whether it be just talent overall. I don't really think so. But um, obviously something missing from the, the package that he is providing us. But, yeah, I don't – know how that's going to wind up affecting the recruiting numbers like that might actually have a pretty big impact yeah because that's one scholarship when a class that's already kind of tied on scholarships so this has cost you know a ex the fifth defensive back getting a spot in this class you know there, there's some kind of repercussions there now maybe it'll, it's all moot and he transfers or he just decides to take his degree and go we've seen that before but uh, that, I think that was probably the most breaking news. I think the other news that Lincoln discussed was um, just kind of confirming that Jalen Redmond's going to be out for the season due to blood clots, which is not the most uh, – it's, it's not something you want to hear that someone has is dealing with blood clots, yeah. especially in their lungs. 
Um, definitely a scary situation. But if he, I think if he's only going to miss one year and they're just going to monitor him and play it on the safe side, I think that in the grand scheme of things, that's probably the best outcome you could hope for um, with something that potentially uh, threatening. Yeah, so, because it, like the news from today could be, yeah, like Jalen Redmond has blood clots in his lungs and he can't play football ever again. Right. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, as a basketball fan, you know, the one that sticks out the most that had the same kind of problem is obviously Chris Bosh. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, obviously his career ended way too soon. So, and you would think even a sport like football, you would even be at a higher risk. Um, because you really shouldn't be on blood thinners if you're playing football. So, mm-hmm. um, and he has a year to kind of get it figured out. I hope. Yeah, and from the tone that I, I mean, from watching Lincoln, from what I got out of it, and maybe this is just me reading too much into things, it seemed to me like it was more of a case of they just want to be sure. They, I mean, if he, they, from what I could tell, he might even be able to play now, but they want to make sure that everything's behind him and that things don't pop up again. And they're putting him into um, a potentially dangerous situation whenever they don't need to. And they just want to make sure that they're not, you know, risking something unnecessarily because obviously with something like as serious as blood clots, you know, that could be life threatening. So you just want to give the, give him this red shirt year um, and confirm that, you know, he's good to go in the spring. And it sounds like he'll be still be able to, you know, take part at least in maybe not full strenuous practice, but be around the team and maybe work out and things like that. Um, so I'm not sure how much he'll actually lose from a development aspect. And in my opinion, Redmond, I, I think he's probably the most talented guy we have at that spot, but I still think he's so new to football and, you know, there are a couple of older guys ahead of him. I think he would have been more of a third down specialist or something like that. I think he just would have had packages that he was in. So as far as from a team impact, I'm not sure it's a huge one. Uh, certainly you want talented guys out there, but um, I think Mark Jackson and Addison Gums both would have played ahead of them. And they also have Nick Bonito or Benito or however you say his last name at that position as well. So it's not like that um, Jack linebacker no. position just plunges into nothing. Is Benito for sure at that spot? Is that because I've I seen know both? There was there's some talk of him playing some Sam. I've seen both. Um, I don't know exactly which. Most recently, I've seen Jack. I wouldn't be surprised if they're just trying him at both and okay. seeing which yeah. one he sticks at. And then I think Jakari Daly could probably factor into that yeah. scenario as well. He's a similar he, type player to an Addison Gums. And I remember whenever we were, I was rewatching the spring game on TV, he's someone that. I mean, I haven't really seen his name mentioned that much, but just if you look at him, like there aren't a lot of guys on defense that just look like him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he looks oh, like yeah. someone you see playing for Georgia or playing for Alabama. He's just he's a he's exactly what you're kind of draw up for that picture. He might still be a little young, but he's right. definitely he, someone that looks the part. Yeah, and I remember him as a recruit. I was, you know, maybe higher on him than I was Addison Gums. Just. He has, mm-hmm. you know, that body type that, mm-hmm. you know, it just, you know, not that Addison Guns doesn't, but I don't know. Maybe I just, I saw maybe a little bit more explosion from Jakari Daly um, oh. at that position. So, I mean, I think the next thing we probably should talk about is uh, Cody Ford is kind of continuing what he did in the spring. Yeah. And he's going to be starting off as a tackle primarily. Um, any yeah. thoughts on that, Ryan? 
Oh, that's really fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's just really fun. We're going to be playing guards at tackle, and we're just going to mow people down. Um, yeah. The Lincoln was very complimentary of the way that uh, Cody was at least moving. I think they were, he mentioned their biggest concern whenever they initially moved in there is how well is he going to move. And they, he was talking that he was saying he, that they were pleasantly surprised and you know that he moved really well at that mm-hmm. spot. And now he's, you know, he's dropped some weight. He's down to 330, which is kind of weird to say, you know, think about down to 330, 330. but it's, it's, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with people his size, I guess that's reality. But yeah. Um, yeah, Cody, I think my concern with him is just, I think we all probably would share the same concern as how well of a pa- how good of a pass blocker is he going to be? Mm-hmm. But from a run blocking aspect, you know, <laughs> I think they could go the Isaiah I, and I've mentioned this before, the Isaiah Wynn model at Georgia and just use that spot for a really great uh, run blocker and especially if Kyler's yeah. the quarterback, um, there could be a lot of exciting yeah. things off that left side with him and Powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think that uh my only thing with this is I wasn't surprised to see that we moved a guard out to tackle. I just am surprised that it wasn't Drew Samia, considering he had played tackle yeah. before when he first got to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. He started for us at tackle at our first playoff run. So um, I don't know yeah. what that says about the situation, but I, I just thought that was interesting that they didn't to move me, him. To me, it just seems like they don't think Bobby or maybe Bobby just isn't comfortable playing left. Um, yeah, because he played. If you th- if you remember, he played right at Allen too, because his left tackle was Greg Little, so he's never really right. played left tackle. Um, and some guys are just they're right tackles. They they're not flexible. Both sides of their I, I, this would be going a little bit too much into the physiology, but they're just more natural playing on the right side. So mm-hmm. it's just an interesting um, point. Yeah, and I do want to take this time to compliment Cody Ford's. Uh, passing ability on the basketball court because I played with him one time and he dined me up about 10 times. It was great. I nice. got a bunch of layups layups off of Cody Ford dimes playing point center. So that was fun. But yeah, no, I, I'm excited to see it that I'm a little, you know, I think there's a couple matchups on our schedule that might give him some problems from a pass blocking standpoint. But mm-hmm. if we're mowing every, everybody over on the run game, then it's not really going to be that big of a problem. And from an athletic um, standpoint, as we've seen with Orlando at the Combine, how much worse could Cody really be? <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Right. He doesn't yeah, have the length, I mean, but from an athletic standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. And it might just be, you know, like, he doesn't have that length, and it's he's going into a position that he just hasn't played. So Right, um, right, right. It'll be interesting oh, I agree. to see. And, like, Orlando Brown, I mean, athletically not strong, but he had – you know, about as good a pedigree as you could have, you know, so yeah, heavy hands. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One thing. I All think right. Is, so do we want to talk about, okay, go ahead. I was going to say one thing I think about, I think is interesting about, um, you know, the question of Cody Ford's run blocking at, or uh, pass blocking at the tackle position is uh, just a question of offenses advancing in style of play um, and how things like RPO, designs are sort of muddying the waters there so i'm interested to see if this like we've talked about how this is a thing that georgia has done and now now that lincoln is doing this i wonder if this like playing 
traditionally guard type players on the outside of the line becomes a more widespread thing. I don't know. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. Well, I think I mean, in I the think... perfect world, they'd want Adrian Ely playing in there, but I'm not, I'm not right. sure he's quite ready. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Well, and I mean, yeah, I think if it works really well, and let's say OU continues to have the best offense in the country, um, I mean, people people kind of look at Lincoln Riley as pretty much a as big an innovator as there is in college football right now. So I think it's entirely possible that becomes kind of more of a trend around the country. Mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily as like your first option, but you know, not something that you're scared of doing if you have to. Yeah. And I think it definitely would help his draft stock if he can prove that he can play out there because it would show the athleticism. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, be able to he's move probably a first round pick. He's probably a first round pick if he pulls this off, I would think. Mm-hmm. I mean, Isaiah Wynn was, I think, a second round pick. And he I was think he was smaller. Hard. I think he went in the twenties. Was he? Okay. Well, he, yeah, I think either the way, took him in the twenties. Either way, he's smaller than Cody Ford, so yeah, um, that would show something mm. right there. Absolutely. Um, so do we? We need to, we need to talk about Mike Stoops. Um, do we? Because he had some he had some thoughts on his uh, press conference. Um, Playing more nickel. Yeah, that was the one that really stuck out to me. Was that. You know, Mike Stoops, the innovator, um, coming out and talking about how, yeah, we'll certainly play more nickel this year because of all the spread offenses we see in the Big 12. And what a revelation. I'm so glad that Mike has reached the year 2007. Like, we're getting <laughs> yeah. there. We're getting Yeah, I there. can't tell if he's just trying to annoy me or if this is really something that just dawned on him. It's like, oh, you know all these wide receivers. We should really play more defensive backs instead of playing four linebackers. What I'm yeah. hoping... Well, the thing about it is, this is the guy who also would play seven defensive backs before. That's true. I don't, I don't, get, I don't get this man. Yeah. Um, this is a good point. What That's I'm hoping point. is that we're going to play more nickel this year is code for uh, Buki is just always going to be on the field. Yeah, I th- I think that's a great point. I think <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is because who's your starting nickel most likely? It's Buki. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's yeah. really as much of anything. He's just trying to get his best players on the field, and I don't think there's any question that though he's only been here for an for a spring semester, Buki's probably already one of their best players. Yeah, or at least from the hype standpoint. Now we'll see, but <laughs> it certainly seems like from what everyone. That has ever interviewed talk whenever they talk about him, that's what it's a, that's a reality already. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, you know, Kerry Cooks could not have said enough nice things about him in the spring, you know, essentially saying he's already better than Steven Parker. Uh, and then, <laughs> you know, Mike Stoops kind of picked up where he left off today and just, you know, talked about how he's mature beyond his years. Um one, you know, I think he mentioned something about defensive line improvement. Did you have like a quote or something about that? He actually he... said they're far and away the most improved group. Um, I think far and away is a direct quote. So okay. that's really exciting. He praised the start, the three starters from like a leadership aspect of Bledsoe, Gallimore, and Kenneth Mann. Have all, they've all really come on. And then he, was bring, he brought up Ty- Tyrese Slott. He's... Multiple people have praised Ronnie Perkins. Uh, I know Austin Kendall praised him in one of the player interviews. Um, and then Mike brought up Ronnie from a freshman coming in and making an immediate impact. Um, 
standpoint. So, and I know we've talked at length about um, just the amount of nose tackles and with Fomitao, and I know we're not super high on him, but at least he's, you know, serviceable backup and yeah. over 10. So I think there's just a lot more confidence in that group as a whole. It seems whenever they, we hear coaches talk about them now compared to where they were last year, because really none of them had played that much last year. And it's just a really young group. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, the, this is really where it all starts defensively. You know, I mean, we can talk about, you know, all of the scheme things we don't like about Mike Stoops. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the defensive line executes his scheme, even if it's not amazing, if they execute better, they we're going to see a much improved product on the field this year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree. And it's really the first time they've had some consistent uh, – just player and coaching that continuity um, because we had that stretch for three straight years. We had three different defensive line coaches and now Thibodeau's in his third year, Ruffin's in his second year. And so they can, and it's the same nucleus of players so they can build on the year before and it's not almost hitting a reset button. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, this, this podcast is a huge, huge fan of one Ruffin McNeil. So absolutely. um, we cannot wait to see what he has in store for us in year two. Um, so I think that's probably about all we got from today. Is there anything else that you, you heard, Nathan, that you want to talk about? Nothing that really stands out. Um, I know I heard a few things on the radio, just comments in passing about how guys have gotten a lot bigger and stronger, but you hear that every Every year, just yeah. but just uh, just some, you know, general praise of Wiley. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, if there's any noticeable difference in the how the team just looks uh, this year compared to la- the last few. Well, not last few years, the last two decades with Schmidt. Um, if there's any noticeable buy-in, I think that's something that's been brought up, maybe in Big Twelve Media Days last week, is some of the buy-in on the defensive line with Wiley as compared to Schmidt. Um, I know Neville Gallimore has been someone whose name's been thrown out there as someone who maybe didn't see super eye to eye with Schmidt, but who's really connected with Wiley. So maybe there's a little bit more of a payoff this year with a new strength and conditioning coach and just a different voice being um, thrown around in the, in the summer months. Well, that'd be good. I think yeah, if Wiley can get Neville Gallimore motivated in a way that Schmidt couldn't, then that's good because I mean, I think Neville Gallimore is capable of more than he has shown so far. So, yeah, I I would I would definitely agree with that. He might be, you know, not the most talented because I think some of those freshmen are probably a little bit more talented. But I think he's the most talented upperclassman we have on that defensive line. Um. All right. So if that's all we have, uh, we're gonna kind of go into a new another segment. Um. We had a request on the Twitters from a loyal listener um, needing a roster breakdown. Um, so obviously, you know, college football rosters are relatively large. So we're not going to do the entire thing in one podcast because that seems unreasonable. Um, even though I think we have done that before. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think we might have done that before 2016. But we are an improved product since then. 
Um, so we're going to break this down into three sections. We're going to today we're going to cover the offensive skill positions. Um, so obviously quarterback, receiver, running back, and H back. And next time we will cover the offensive and defensive lines. And then obviously that leaves the linebackers and cornerbacks. Uh, we can throw special teams in there too, but it's really just going to be saying Austin Seibert's name. So yeah. there we go. Hey, we just covered special teams. Austin Seibert. <laughs> Don't sleep on Reeves Munchow. <laughs> uh, I, I will sleep on Reeves Munchow. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's probably like uncomfortable because, I mean, he's he is a yeah. football player, so it's all bumpy. Medical condition there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk skill positions. Let's do it. All right. So, I mean, there's really nowhere else to start, but there's a quarterback competition going on right now, according to Lincoln Riley. Um, I think we all, all of us here, believe Kyler Murray is the guy. I mean, yeah. I don't really, it wouldn't really make sense if he weren't the guy, why he would even be here right now. And I know Lincoln Riley has the thing where he's like, well, he just loves football, and he's just here to compete. He knows what he's in for, but I don't really buy it. Um, <laughs> I think if Kyler Murray thought he actually could lose this job, he would be playing baseball right now because that would be the intelligent thing to do. So yeah, um, and like the reality he, is, like in 2015, we didn't know Baker Mayfield was the starter until whenever, like a long, like a long time from now. Yeah, fall camp. And so, I mean, we saw the difference between Baker and uh, Trevor. Like, so, I don't know if we can buy this competition as occurring. Right. I think the well, 95% favorite, would pro- or maybe that's high, but the very, very strong favorite is Kyler. And anyone who probably says otherwise is kind of kidding themselves. Right. But that doesn't, I think that also, and I know. There are maybe differing opinions on this podcast, but I also think Kendall isn't a scrub that like some people are writing him off to be. But I also think the clear favorite I is one Tyler. Of those people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Put put me in that. I am one of those people writing him off. But um, I, I think, think he's a argument... decent player who's losing to a better player. I think that's right. The... Right. I think the argument that people that think Austin Kendall has a chance they're going to be making it's going to be based almost entirely around the spring game right because yeah just don't do statistically speaking yeah right don't do that statistically speaking yeah sure he probably had a little bit more impressive of a day Um, but you have to look back at all the advantages he had he had mostly the starting offensive line with him he had I believe CD Lamb on his team and Grant Calcaterra You know, Kyler Murray was out there with a backup offensive line and Trey Sermon was on his team, but he got hurt on like his first carry. So Kyler Murray was not really dealt a fair hand at the spring game. Right. Yeah. And he still what's what's he still won the game like his team beat Austin Kendall's team. And we talk about. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and in that very game, Austin Kendall overall had some like decent moments, but he wound up making the biggest mistake on the day. You know, he threw a really bad interception in the end zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's not something that's going to put you in the favorable, on the favorable side of Lincoln Riley. You know what I mean? Definitely not. 
also I, and I, and was, people bring up the spring game a lot but remember last year's spring game the 20 boy that year that had been 17 spring game kyler had an amazing game so it's not there isn't just one spring game that we can look at because there was a lot of buzz about his spring game performance the year prior whenever there weren't 40 mile an hour wins yeah of how well he played right. yeah we really cannot stress enough that the weather at that spring game was really bad it was really cold it was really windy these were not these were not ideal conditions like it's no. so it's impossible to extrapolate meaningfully from that game right um, and what what i what i saw from austin kendall in that game anyways was like i think the guy's a better athlete than you know most people think like he can make some plays scrambling yeah but i also kind of saw a lot of happy feet in the pocket you know what i mean yeah. he's a guy that really kind of looked to bail out of the pocket pretty quickly. And that's just not what you would want from a quarterback with his skill set. Yeah. And so, and so, so if we go into the actual analysis of, you know, what, what, what does an offense with Kyler Murray as the starting quarterback look like? What do we expect? Um, do we expect, you know, heavy run and a lot of deep passes is it a lot of boots? Like, how how do we expect Lincoln to adjust the uh, the Oklahoma offense from what it was under Baker Mayfield to what a Kyler Murray offense would look like? Ron, you want to take that? Yeah. So I think we're tipping our hand a bit with the Cody Ford stuff, right? Um, mm-hmm. And just giving our running back stable the um, I think that it's going to be fairly run heavy. I mean, you're going to be setting up things like. Um, counter tray read option stuff where this was and this was stuff that we would run with baker last year and like baker would make the read to keep the backside defender honest but like if that's kyler murray that's a home run threat every play um so i think as we we saw against west virginia exactly i think we use a lot of that and then from that i'm betting that we just do a lot of deep play action stuff off of that action um I do think, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see um, because there's been some questions about Kyler Murray's quote-unquote comprehension of the offense. Um, But, like, so, and Baker understood that offense as well as Lincoln Riley did. I think that's the, that's, I don't want to go back to talking about Baker Mayfield for too long, but, like, that that is probably his quality that I think was least appreciated as he was going through, like, the draft process is that he was a master of that offense and could run it by himself and make the right reads and make the right adjustments in a hurry up situation every down. And I don't think we can expect Kyler Murray to be able to do that right away. Um, But so from that, I think we see a lot of runs and a lot of play action bombs. And I I think that's a good point, but this is his third year in the offense. Mm -hmm. So I don't expect him to be just completely lost out there. Do I expect him, like you said, to, do what Baker did and make all the adjustments all at the line just to get them in the perfect play. Probably not, but you know, again, he, he has, he's served as a scout team quarterback and the backup quarterback. So mm-hmm. this will be something that as he gets, if he's put into this position, I, I think they'll still be able to use a, a large percentage of their uh, base playbook because he's been in the offense for a while. Yeah. Uh, I think my, my biggest concern with him um, in terms of running this offense 
is, I mean, really, it's just how effective is he really going to be throwing over the middle? Uh, he yeah. is a rather diminutive quarterback. Not, I mean, Baker wasn't tall, but Baker was, you know, he was probably two or three inches taller than Kyler. Um, so and this might not be a problem at all. Kyler might just be really good at finding lanes and windows. Um, but that's something to watch for, right. you know, because, you know, I think we're all really high on Grant Calcaterra and, you know, as we should be, but you great know, at the he's going to be operating. Yeah. He's going to be operating over the middle of the field. Yes. Great at the opening. Um, he's going to be operating over the middle of the field and will Kyler be able to find him like Baker was able to find Mark Andrews as much as he did. We'll have to see. I'm not, I'm think- not as sure about that, but I still think we can have an effective offense either way. I think that's where the Lincoln Riley, uh, without sounding like too much of a homer, the brilliance of Lincoln Riley comes in, is how does he design plays and situations to get Kyler in a space where he can make those throws without putting them in dangerous spots, you know, where they can get swatted down or yeah. picked off at the line or however you want to phrase it. I've heard, I've heard some um, recent NFL draft guys or college football players uh, gurus, if you will, people that kind of dive into the X's and O's. Um, there was even a recent article by The Athletic where they talked a little bit about what Kyler can do in this offense, and that was one of the points they brought up. It's, yeah, Kyler's – they list him at 5'11". I don't think he's 5'11". I think he's 5'9", no. maybe 5'10". Sooner um, Sports doesn't even list him at 5'11". They have him at 5'11". Oh, they don't? Okay, so at least they're, they're being a little bit more honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but – they, they just talked about that was something that where Lincoln Riley, the way he draws up plays and the way he kind of creates things can make that as not as much of a big issue as say if he was in Jim Harbaugh's offense where he was doing seven, you know, seven step drops. Yeah. I think it's a, this offense can be somewhat of a, something that helps him a lot as far as just dealing with stature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, Real quick, I mean, I know none of us are projecting this, but what do you think the offense would look like with Austin Kendall running it, besides being really boring? But go ahead. <laughs> um, I don't think it would be that boring. I feel like um, there would just be more reliance on the running backs in the running game. Um, you might – I mean, we talked about Austin Kendall's, like, scrambling ability, um, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I would be worried that it would devolve a little bit too much into like 2015 Baker Mayfield, which was amazing, but also like sometimes didn't work. <laughs> right. The first, not the first half of 2015, but the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. the first three quarters of Tennessee, but the last <laughs> quarter. <laughs> yeah. It, see, I, I'm a little, I think I'm a little higher on Austin uh, than, than Alex is, but um, I think it would be more of just a, what we've seen, um, maybe a, a little bit more reliance on, you know, prototypical passes and things of that nature. Maybe not as much uh, read option things that get the quarterback out in space. Maybe more drop back passes. But I, between the two quarterbacks, outside of maybe those zone read long plays, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of deviation. Um, I can see them giving Kyler more, you know, long bombs because it seems like that's one of his. The things that he's more suited for, he's a really good deep ball passer. But, you know, I think and one of the things with uh, Austin Kendall, Kendall to me kind of reminds me of uh, 
Andy Dalton a little bit. So I, I can see a little bit of, of that game if they were to use him as the starting quarterback, but I think it's all almost a moot point. I think we all kind of, I think we'll all be shocked if, if uh, Austin Kendall ends up the starter and it's not Kyler Murray. So I'm not sure how much of a, how much it really matters. Okay. So now let's move on real quick. What does the offense look like if Reese Clark is, I'm just kidding. We're going to move on to running backs now. Um, I think this, you know, um, I don't know between this and receiver, which would be the, the strength of the offense, but this is definitely potentially the biggest strength in the offense real good. Um, because Rodney Anderson's back, Trey Sermon's back, uh, Kennedy Brooks has received high praise. TJ Pledger was a highly rated guy. Um, Marcellia Marcellia Sutton, Sutton. Sutton exists, but I'm not really going to put him in this job. conversation. They'll be returning yeah. kickoffs and hopefully just fair catching them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this, I mean, I, we've talked about the run game, you know, possibly being more featured and we definitely have the running backs for it. Uh, you know, Rodney Anderson was really the last eight games of last season, maybe the best running back in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw what he did against Georgia and the Rose Bowl. We saw what he did to Roquan Smith. Yeah. You know, this guy is, he was essentially he's about the as first good as running back all year to break a Roquan Smith tackle. So he had 200 yards against Georgia. Yeah. Can we just right. kind of appreciate that for a little bit? Because all we heard leading up to that game was kind of the impenetrable wall that was Georgia. Mm-hmm. I think they were like, I don't remember what their yardage per game was, but it was sub 100. So just him by alone was over 200. And honestly, that first half against Georgia, I know what we've all kind of tried to block that game out, but he was, if not the best player on the field, one of the best players yeah. on the field. On that first yeah. half, he was yeah, incredible. The la- second half of the season last year, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, um, certainly not this podcast, which has had to eat no. a lot of crow about our Rodney Anderson opinions. Yeah. Um, so Trey Sermon also back. La- you know, last year played a pretty significant role for most of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a point in time early in the season where he looked like our best option at running back at times. You know, obviously, what he did up in Columbus, what he did down in Waco. Um, what are you What are you looking to see from Trey Sermon this year in terms of improvement from what he did last year? Um, uh, Nathan, do you have thoughts? I want to see him get faster in the as he. I want to see him yeah. pull away more often. Um, if he can okay. somehow be a little bit more explosive. That would be what I would want to see. And not maybe not even the long speed, but the short burst, um, immediate, gets through the hole and bursts into the secondary. Uh, that would be kind of where I'd want to focus on. So I don't know what his 40 time is. Honestly, I'd be a little bit surprised if it was above or below 4.8, 4.7, something like that. I don't think he's super fast. So if there's any way he can shave a little bit of time off of that and become more explosive, that's what I'd want to see. Because right. he's got the receiving ability and he's – he can run over guys. He trucked a guy against Georgia. He, I mean, he's he kind of became that uh, bruiser. The fourth quarter, you know, wear the defense down back last year. So if he can add a little bit of even more speed uh, to his game, I know he pulled away from OSU, but if I could see that more consistently, that would be uh, something that would really be exciting um, because I think 
if between Rodney Anderson and a faster Trey Sermon, that's just a lot for a defense to try and stop, especially for four quarters. Yeah, I um I agree with Nathan. I think Trey Sermon showed a lot of showed good vision um when he got as when he was receiving handoffs um and I think he has a pretty high top speed. We saw that when he would pull away. Um but his difficulty was frequently getting through the second level into the secondary because his acceleration, you know. He did, he doesn't accelerate very quickly. So yeah, quicker burst I think would make him a really dangerous running back. Yeah, I I agree um, with all of those things. And, you know, one thing that I think would help just we've seen he's a very patient runner. Mm-hmm. You know, he almost, you know, everybody kind of talks about the like the Le'Veon Bell style of running. And he has that ability. But I would like to see a little bit more like because every now and then you've just got to hit the hole. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like, he answers a little bit it. too much. Right, and sometimes there just isn't a hole, so you've just got to get what you can. And I think sometimes he struggles with that. So, you know, if he could just be, you know, not all the time, but just sometimes a little bit more decisive with where he's going to run, I think that could help because I think one of the reasons why he doesn't look like he accelerates much is because he really is kind of dissecting the defense as he runs. And sometimes there's just not really a place for that because you saw at times last year, some games, he just was not an effective runner at all. You know what I mean? He looked like a different guy sometimes. But then other times, he looked like the best running back we had. So um, if he could just become a little bit more versatile in his run style, yeah. um, I think that's that would really take him to that next level. Um, just real quick with both of these guys, you know, I don't think there's any doubt that they're going to be two of our top 11 players on, on offense, right? I mean yeah. – I think there's going to be a lot of scenarios. We saw it a little bit last year, especially late in games where both of them were on the field. Yeah. But as we shift to probably a more run-heavy offense, you know, I think we're going to see a ton of, of, of lineups whenever both of these guys are on the field together. Yeah, no, I think um, this is something we've talked about before, but in, uh, in 2017, um, OU played a lot of 21 personnel with, um, Dimitri Flowers and one of these guys. Um, and with Flowers out, I think what we'll see is more of a traditional two-back 21 set with these two guys splitting the backfield, the backfield and um, you know, uh, what's-his-face, Grant, Grant Calcaterra. Um, I think that that is going to be what our sort of heavier sets end up looking like. Yeah, I mean, and if you kind of look at that as from an overall um, skill position standpoint on offense, you know, I think the guys we have the most confidence in are those two CD lamb, Marquise Brown and Grant Calcaterra. Yeah. And so just getting all of those guys, every, you know, everyone else, Michael Jones, Carson Meyer, they have question marks. They haven't played a ton. So I think, you know, we, OU likes, I mean, everybody likes this, but OU really likes to find something they're comfortable with and really kind of tailor their offense to fit around those 11 guys. Um, and I think that these two guys are going to feature in that kind of, I don't know, base formation. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's move on to Kennedy Brooks, right? Because I think he was maybe he was not maybe he was the most impressive running back at the spring game that we saw. Yeah. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and ignore everything I said about using the spring game <laughs> to judge the quarterbacks. Um, 
but I mean, there's there's kind of a good reason for that because you know wind doesn't really affect running backs. Yeah, it you know, was so. fine running the ball weather. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I thought the guy looked great. You know, he is definitely you know closer to kind of a Rodney Anderson style runner than he is like a Trey Sermon, but you know, not the physical specimen that Rodney Anderson is for sure. He doesn't yeah. wear gloves. He doesn't. Wear he doesn't gloves, wear gloves. I'm fascinated by this. It yes. looks fantastic. It's incredible. It's just so different, man. No gloves, no wristbands, no tape, anything. He's just got his arms are yeah. bare. And I love it. It's an interesting look. He yeah. is a blank create a player, and we love him for it. <laughs> yeah. He just, like, that's the kind of, like, he looks like a workhorse running back. You right. Know? I know it's not the sexiest, like, comparison because uh, people probably won't get super excited about it, but he reminds me a lot of Chris Brown. Um, he just... Maybe not. He's not super explosive. He's not super uh, just athletically overpowering. But he just knows. To me, he seems like one of those guys who just knows how to run the ball. And every you, he's one of those guys at the end of the game. You look down and you see his stat sheet. It's like, when did he gain all those yards? You know, it's one of those kind of sneaky sort of guys. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's the third string running back. And you look down at the end of the game and he had eight carries for you know fifty yards, and you're surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with him, I think. You know, he definitely has he's a he has great ability running the football. The next step for him is going to be figuring out the other aspects of the offense that we need. You know, mm-hmm. he is not an experienced pass catcher, but we've seen a guy like Rodney Anderson develop in that way since he's been at Oklahoma. He probably hasn't done a ton of pass blocking prior to college football for him because this is the guy that at Mansfield in high school, he just carried the ball like 35 times a game and he set all kinds of records for yards. So yeah, they didn't have like 3000 yards or some ridiculous number. I think, he did. I think it, yeah, I think it might've been like 2,800 or something, but yeah. And that's like six, a Texas high school football. Yeah. Some absurd, uh, yardage amount and the, probably the most difficult classification of high school football in the country. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, Ryan, any quick thoughts on TJ Pledger? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him a little bit this year. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if we didn't. Um, I think he will probably... Very set, committed right there. I, well, I think <laughs> he will probably settle in as the fourth string running back. Um, yeah. I, If he does play, I bet that there will be at least one game where we're like, whoa, TJ Pledger is awesome. Right. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I uh, haven't had a ton of time to see, you know, I don't know what he's going to be like at the moment. We're going to. Yeah. Or if we'll and see it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate because he was injured for the spring game. Yeah. So we didn't get to see him in that setting. Uh, um, just, you know, from a skill set perspective, he has a more varied skill set than a guy like Kennedy Brooks. So I could see a scenario that he kind of works his way into being that third string running back. Um, I mean, I, w- I would definitely bet on Kennedy Brooks, but I could see TJ Pledger being the more, um, the more experienced pass blocker and pass catcher being able to get onto the field. And, you know, he's a guy that in high school, you know, he even would line up in the slot a little bit and catch yeah. out of that position. And that's something we like to do with our running backs. So, you know, he's the kind of guy that don't be surprised if he finds his way onto the field this year. Exactly, yeah. Um, something we should just talk about with this group in general is that all of these guys 
maybe with the exception of Kennedy Brooks, have really good hands. Like that, we have some great pass catching running backs, and we used those to really good effect last year. And I'm interested to see how we continue that. Yeah, especially with and that was one of the things that people weren't sure what um, with Rodney how well he'd be able to do because he came from Katie, and that's just not something they ask of their running backs, but. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something that you can tell he's worked a lot with Jay Bowler with. And I think he surprised just about everybody with just how well he was able to catch. I know in that first half against the, the first time OU played TCU, he was making some incredible catches. So yeah. he just it's just really evident how much work he's put into that. So if Kennedy Brooks can do the same thing, um, you know, I think the the template is there for a running back that came out of high school probably catching five passes his whole career and uh, turning into a pretty gar- darn good uh, pass catcher yeah. in college. Yeah, so that's something to be excited about. We had a few, um, I mean, there are some times when both Rodney and Trey essentially just mossed some poor linebackers. Um, and yeah. that was really, like, that's really exciting. Um, Trey's catch against Oklahoma State Yeah. Um, whenever Mayfield, ba- it was actually it was probably not a good decision by Mayfield. <laughs> no, but, but <laughs> it was Trey a great Bale catch. It was great yeah. because the the um, I remember that play because um, the camera work was terrible. Right. Watching from home, the uh, cameraman just didn't understand what was going on, so you didn't see what happened at the end of the play until in replay. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I had a great angle for that play. It was it was fun to see I'm from sure the stands did. there. <laughs> um, so let's let's move on from running back now. Um, let's go to over to fullback, H back whatever we want to call it mm-hmm. um, or steal a page from Mike Gundy and act like we created a position or something sooner back. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so this one, I think, you know, this is going to be a big one for Nathan because I think the favorite to start is probably Carson Meyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just going to let Nathan take the floor here with his thoughts on Carson Meyer. Yeah. I think Carson Meyer is probably the best blocking fullback We've had since Ripkowski just as a pure blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very, he's probably, I think the only problem with Carson would be, you know, how can he give you the different dimensions as Dimitri Flowers? And, I, and almost certainly the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's not going to be the multi-tool player that Dimitri Flowers was, but I think as a good, as a lead blocker with the occasional pass, you know, a few passes throughout the year sprinkled in. I think that's certainly something that we can expect. Um, all I know is every time they put him in as the lead blocker, he's usually depleting somebody on the opposing side. So yeah, seeing that more often, especially with what we've talked, we've alluded to with the um, run blocking capability, the offensive line is going to have with the running backs that you will have. If Kyler is the quarterback and they're doing a lot of uh, zone reads and things that get him out into space, I could see a dominant, or semi-dominant run-blocking fullbacks being something that um, could definitely come in handy throughout the season. Yeah. But as far as a pass catcher, I, I I watched him play, I don't know, a dozen times at Union or so. He's a capable ca- pass catcher, but I think there's something to be said that, to my knowledge, he's never caught a pass at OU. And maybe that's just because Dimitri was always ahead of him. But I also think if he was a, you know, a college-capable, you know, uh, white, uh, receiving threat, it probably would have been sprinkled in at least once or twice. Yeah. So 
five, six times maybe throughout the year, but I wouldn't expect it to be a big part of the offense. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that that's probably a large reason why we all kind of expect Trey Sermon to kind of not necessarily take over that role, but kind of fulfill the pass-catching and running duties that uh, Dimitri Flowers filled. Yeah, though I am, I don't know, I'd be really interested to see if we do some, like, diamond set stuff, maybe, with Carson Meyer on the field and those two guys, and just... Um, with, uh, I don't know, just see what Kyler can do and that sort of thing. I'm always interested to see how, how many blockers we can get on the field. Because, yeah, yeah. they can. The thing with Carson is he's 6'5, so they can put him on, you know, as an actual tight end, you know, mm-hmm. on the edge of the line also. He's not restricted just to being a fullback. Um, so there might, might be a little bit of flexibil- flexibility there just as a true tight end. Mm hmm. But um, I don't think we're going to see him lining up as a running back against Iowa State like Dimitri did. Yeah. Um, all right. Do we want to talk about the other fullbacks? You have pressing thoughts on Joe Castiglione Jr. Uh, did okay. Now, if I'm not mistaken, not. he fumbled on his only carry last year, Joe Castiglione <laughs> Jr. So yeah. Um, you know. He's also. That's my that's my analysis. He is also a 5'11", 180 pound fullback. So, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to be going professional in football. He will be going pro in something other than sports. <laughs> probably going to be um, same thing his dad does. So I would, I would be willing to bet. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so sure. Jeremiah Hall, uh, I think, would be the other name that we want to bring up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Any getting, thoughts on Jeremiah Hall? Okay. No, my audio was doing something really weird. I was getting like super slow motion sound from you guys. Oh, well, that's that weird. Was, that oh. was strange. I just didn't slightly get it even on my end, so that should be all right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> We're good now. Um, so, yeah, let's go to Jeremiah Hall because this one, this guy's pretty interesting to me because whenever he was recruited, you know, it was just like, well, we found our next Dimitri or Trey Millard, you know. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, both of those guys were able to come in as true freshmen and really make an impact and be starters. But um, Jeremiah Hall redshirted, which is fine because Dimitri Flowers was here. But yeah. you also just didn't hear real positive things about him. You know, mm-hmm. like there was some definite concerns about him going into the spring. Um, so there might be that might be that might be something. You know what I mean? They they might not be planning for him you know like because realistically speaking if he were kind of panning out i don't think we'd be talking about carson meyer as our starting fullback i agree yeah i agree um Uh, which is um, but i mean maybe he'll surprise us maybe he'll put in a good fall camp but at the moment it's looking like we were wrong about jeremiah hall yeah now, the last guy at this spot is a, actually a true freshman, um, and he was one of the latest ads for our 2018 class. And I know Nathan and I are huge fans of this kid, Braden Willis. Um, from Is he from Arlington, Texas, I believe? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was just a late ad, three-star kid. But if you throw on his film, man, like he has a varied skill set, which mm-hmm. seems to fit this position really well. Um, he's a guy that played a lot. You know, he 
caught a lot of passes in high school. He would line up in the Wildcat. And then he would just freaking pancake people on blocks, yeah. you know? And, like, this isn't a guy, like, physically speaking, he's not the same type of frame as, like, a Trey Millard or Dimitri Flowers. Like, he's a little bit more lean than either of those guys. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not just as physical as, like, a Trey Millard. Yeah, this I don't really know how he went so under the radar. OU beat out Boise and Wake Forest to land Braden Willis. And you look at his film and you're just wondering, how did he kind of, especially at a school like Arlington, I think it's Arlington Martin, which is a pretty yeah. big school. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of wondering how he kind of slipped through the cracks. But yeah, he's, I think he by this time next year, he'll be the starter. Um, and this, and he was someone that was brought up today also by Austin Kendall as someone who's already looked pretty good in the summer uh, workouts. And uh, so I, I, I don't know. I'm a pretty big fan of his. I think he's going to be a good player. Yeah. Yeah. And I this, think if he could yeah. come in and fill in some, fill in his body a little bit, he could definitely have like a Dimitri Flowers type impact as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Not, not Dimitri as a senior, but whenever Dimitri was a freshman, let's yeah. be clear. <laughs> play some special teams and make, yeah, make the occasional play. Yeah. I yeah, agree. for sure. Yeah. This probably doesn't mean anything um, given how absurd football rosters are. But he's listed at tight end um, with yeah. um, Grant Calcaterra, et cetera. And not I can see him playing Carson some wire. So I don't think that'll mean anything because my guess is that, um, I don't know. Tight end has been a weird position for OU's um, depth charts and stuff, partially because they didn't want to call Mark Andrews a tight end. Um, so I don't know. The distinction between those two positions is growing more and more meaningless. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they use Braden Willis, um, whether he's more of an inline player or if they do more flexible things with him. Yeah, and that you know that kind of speaks to his versatility. You know, I it wouldn't surprise me at all if he wound up being Grant Calcaterra's backup this year. Mm-hmm. Like he has some pretty impressive athleticism and receiving ability. And, like, just because he starts out this year doesn't mean that they wouldn't be able to move him around. Like, I think he's a guy that could easily fill two positions on this offense. Yeah. Um, right. So that does – I would say that does it for, for fullback, H-back types. Yeah. Do we want to get go ahead and get to – let's go to the other – like, the inside receivers at the Y position that Grant Calcaterra plays. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, we've talked about him. Quite a bit. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that Grant Calcaterra burst onto the scene at the opening mm-hmm. in 2017. He was great. Um, he was, or it might have been 2016. Now that I think of it, it but he was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he was fantastic at the opening. Um, you know what? We've we've been really high on him since he's a freshman. When he's been on the field. You know, he looks like a guy that just knows how to play the position he's in. Um, he has some issues with some drops last year. Is that something that we should be concerned about long term? So he had a few drops early, but he also made some incredible catches. I think I'm thinking specifically about the one against TCU that it, that perfectly yeah, plays ball awesome. from Baker. Um, I think that for the most part. He seems to have gotten the drops out of his system, but I don't know. I think it was just a case of freshman nerves 
maybe he was thinking too fast. Um, the only egregious drop that I can remember, I'm sure there are others, was one against Ohio State mm-hmm. where he it hit him right in the hands and he had already turned up field. I think part of it was just, you know, he was trying to get acclimated to the speed of the game and he just – because yeah. the thing we heard all all the time throughout his recruitment is just how great of a set of hands he has. So I don't expect it to continue. Um, and like Ryan said, toward, as the season progressed, you didn't see him continuing with those drops. So I think um, the worst of it is probably behind him. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Though I mean, really the drop that sticks out to me the most isn't the Ohio State one because I – completely understand he didn't expect to really be playing in that game very much and then mark andrews goes down in the first half so he played a huge role Um, but there was a pretty bad drop in the oklahoma state game that kind of sticks out to me maybe it's just because i they had the bedlam game on like fox sports oklahoma the other day so i kind of watched a few minutes of it and that play came up and so i I mean that kind of sticks out to me but i agree i don't think it's a long-term thing like his in high school, that was really what he was known for was his hands. Um, and then, you know, the spring game, he looked, I mean, he looked super comfortable, you know, just doing what he's doing, man. Like he, he's a guy that, you know, when I saw him last year and before I was like, he's ahead of, he's definitely ahead of where Mark Andrews was at the same time. Yeah, he was playing. <laughs> Mark Andrews is redshirting. So oh, yeah. I think it's good to show yeah. you. I think long term also, I mean, it's kind of silly. It seems almost kind of silly to say because Mark uh, won, um, you know, best, the Mackey Award, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if at the end of his career, Calcaterra has, has had a better career um, than Mark Andrews. Yeah. Well, and we kind talk, of a loaded sin. Yeah. Well, we talk about drops. I mean, Mark Andrews struggled with drops his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that, I think that. Grant's going to be in a good position as far as that goes. Yeah, so uh, really the only other guy that really factors in at this position, um, as you know, if we're just going to, we already talked about Braden Willis, but Lee Morris, um, right. Allen High School product, Kyler Murray's favorite target. Um, all he does is catch touchdowns. All he does is catch touchdowns. Mm-hmm. You know, he caught a really nice one from Kyler Murray last year. Caught a big one up in Columbus, you know, didn't really do anything after that. But um, <laughs> this is a guy that I think he's just, he's a really solid backup. You know, yeah. I think he, his skill set, I mean, he's not as good as Grant Calcaterra, but he's a similar player, you know, si- even size wise, he's got similar size. Not quite the athlete Calcaterra is, probably doesn't have the hands Calcaterra does. But I mean, I think he's, he's a guy that, you know, if he can play the role Grant Calcaterra played last year. You know, give him 10 snaps a game, you know, just to give Calcaterra some rest. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the uh, built in kind of um, connection that he already has with Kyler. Um, They're already somewhat on the same page just from playing, you know, together in high school. They have maybe a little bit of chemistry. So that'd be something to kind of look into, see if maybe they can kind of continue that here in Norman. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's move over to the the H position, which I believe that's the other inside spot, right, Nathan? That's correct. Okay, so this one this is a pretty interesting spot to me because there are several guys that 
could factor in at this position that also might be playing outside instead. But I think, you know, the most established guy we have here, Michael Jones, um, he's kind of a guy, you know, he hasn't been super consistent over the course of his career. Yeah. You know, he was largely missing in a lot of games, but then he would come out and he had a great game against, uh, who was it? Well, he obviously scored the touchdown in the Big 12 championship game. He had a couple really impressive catches against Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, what he just, I mean, he's got to be consistent. He, yeah, I would agree. He's got a lot of, I think he's got a lot of talent. He, he's coming off of a shoulder surgery, I think. But he made some big plays last year, but it was usually just one or two a game. So it's just, can he be, you know, six times a game sort of guy? Um, right. But usually if he was yeah. catching a ball, it was... You know something memorable like the pass he caught against uh, that Baker threw to him against Ohio State that was just over the fingertips of the defensive back. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a there, good one. There were a few of those a game or sprinkled throughout the season. He had the touchdown against TCU that, um, that unfortunately TCU for them put a defensive end on him, which I still don't really understand how that happened. But he just burned uh, Matt Boson. So there. Just can he do that more often? And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a bigger role this year just for um, – I don't expect the offense to be pushing the, the ball downfield quite as often like what Baker was doing. So if Kyler or Austin, I guess, utilizes those little quick passes more, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Jones and this that inside wide receiver position have more of an opportunity – um, of making you know those kind of quick screen pass plays. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, really, the other most interesting guy at this spot is someone that has come off a couple major Achilles injuries, Nick Basquin. You know, he was a guy. He played a really important role in 2016. You know, yeah. he was a, you know, he was very reliable. Him and Geno Smith were kind of like not Smith, Geno Lewis. They became kind of pretty big third down specialists guys that just would get you just enough yards to keep the drive going. I don't really expect much from him because man, tearing your Achilles twice. That's a lot, man. Tearing it once can end players careers, but twice, man, I just, I'm not sure I can see someone bouncing back from that. Especially for that position where you had to do a lot of quick cuts and I don't know. It's hard to imagine being what you were if you, like you said, tear your Achilles twice whenever your whole entire, um, you know, how effective you are is reliant upon your route running and those, you know, little subtle moves. Um, I don't know. I think he's, I, I know I've seen a lot of people bounce around and say, is it going to be Mike Hell or is it going to be Nick? And I'd, I'd just be surprised if Nick is the starter. I think he's definitely going to be a backup. Yeah. And, and that's a good problem. Like, I mean, if he if he is your backup and he's let's say seventy five percent of what he was, that's a good backup. You know, like he can get the job done at that spot. Um, one thing I also say is that he, you know, just given that he was never like a superior athlete, you know, he wasn't a guy that got by on his athleticism, so he didn't really have a lot of athleticism to spare. Mm-hmm. So if he wound up losing some of that, which he almost assuredly did. Um, mm-hmm. That could be something. That it could it could just be a huge problem for him, and he just might not be even close to the same guy that we saw before. Um, I know that's a pretty you know pessimistic outlook. So 
hopefully he's able to come back healthy. Um, next guy, true freshman Jalen Robinson. Um, you know, he's a pretty interesting player to me because he's, I think he's probably got a little bit more speed or at least a little bit more quickness than the other two guys that we mm-hmm. have, have, we've mentioned at this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, a little smaller though. Yeah. He's someone that earned an offer after a satellite camp. Uh, Kill Gundy saw him in person and offered him on the spot, which is, you know, usually pretty impressive. Um, you always like to see those kind of guys because they basically earn their spot just through what they were able to demonstrate in person instead of um, just the five stars that get offered from California or wherever. So I think he's yeah he's small. He's probably five nine, hundred something, hundred sixty-five pounds maybe. He's not super big, but he's definitely really quick. I don't know how great of long speed he has, but whenever you play the inside wide receiver wide receiver position. Quickness, I think, is more important because you're um, – and I, I think the other thing that's interesting about him is he played linebacker in high school also. So a lot of times we'll hear questions about how tougher those receivers are they willing to get lit up over the middle. And I'm not sure that toughness is going to be a huge question for him. But I think he's probably the likely third string. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was redshirted, especially just all the receiving options that they have. But it also wouldn't surprise me if, say, Basquin isn't, you know, able to fully come back if he was able to start kind of getting his feet wet for next season. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm honestly, I'd, I'd kind of lean towards Jalen Robinson over Nick Basquin as the guy who's going to be the backup. Um, I think Miles Tease might have something to say about this as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I actually think Jalen Robinson's going to play a role this year. Um, he's just, you know, he's just quick. He's a little bit more athletic than the other guys we have, um, and if and he played you know a similar role in high school, so you know he's he might be someone that picks it up pretty quickly. And if he does, then I think he finds his way onto the field at least a little bit as a backup to Michael Jones. Um, so let's move on. We don't really need to talk about Miles Tease. You know he's fine. He's a walker on scholarship. Now now on scholarship, so good for him. Um. So let's go over. Let's go to our outside receiver positions because if running back isn't the primary strength of our offense, it's the outside receivers because we might have two of the best players in the country out there. Yeah, yeah. and they're really complimentary as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously we're talking about Hollywood Brown and C.D. Lamb. Um, you know, we saw what Hollywood Brown was capable of. You know, really the last eight or nine games of the year is uh, like. Because I've, I've kind of rewatched the Ohio State game. How wild is it that Marquise Brown was healthy and didn't play a snap in that game? Yeah. Yeah. It, um... Pretty amazing. <laughs> Especially when everything – when you realize that Jeff Mead was a starter in that game and didn't get a catch. Yeah. 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 Oh, Jeff Mead. Oh, Jeff. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we everyone knows what we have with Hollywood Brown. Um it does seem like Kim and CeeDee Lamb have kind of – they've definitely developed physically over this offseason. Um, you know, they're – you know, CeeDee Lamb's put on like 20 pounds apparently. You know, he's up to like over 200 pounds. So, I mean, that's really exciting to me because if there was anything he struggled with last year, it was going up and just kind of fending off defensive backs and making like super competitive catches. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if he's able to do that, he's the total package at receiver. And they also talked about – 
know, he was he didn't quite have it all, the weight to be able to physically withstand the full season. And then I know he's mentioned gaining this 20 or 25 or however many pounds it was. Is that something that will really help him be more durable? And he's also talked about he's gotten faster while gaining 20-something pounds, which is kind of hard to believe. But that was one of the things that we thought about last or we noticed last year is he wasn't quite as fast um, maybe as he was in high school because he had gained some weight, but it wasn't you know properly distributed or however you want to say it. So I think now that he's had a full year because he was a summer enrollee last year. So he, I mean, he didn't get to go through the spring. So now he's had a full off season to gain that strength and gain that uh, speed. And it really just the, I'm not sure that OU's had a wide receiver that's as physically talented as he is since I've started following them, you know, at a detailed level in the last 10 years, he's as, it's well, not really it's the, sky, the only one you, to me, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah, I think in terms of bigger receivers, the only guy that's comparable is Malcolm Kelly, and I think he's yeah. a, a cut above Malcolm Kelly. Mm. He's not maybe the like the, just the physical presence Kelly was because Kelly was six four and oh yeah he was yeah. he's just this huge guy. But um, mm-hmm. I can see CD Lamb is someone that if he can maybe gain a little bit of speed and prove that he can you know snatch those balls down whenever they. It's just one-on-one situations. I mean, with two years to develop, I can see him being a first-round pick for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think CD's really good. Um, and I think him getting bigger is really good. Do we have anything else to say about CD Lamb? Uh, I don't. Uh, I want to move on to a guy that's really maybe the most intriguing player just from what we we just haven't seen him play yet, and that's Charleston Rambo. Yeah. Um, and out of high school, him and C.D. Lamb, to me, were both, like, I, I like Lamb a little bit more, but I Rambo was close to me. Like, both of those guys were, you know, they were just unbelievably productive at the high school level, and they just could do it all. And Rambo's a guy that's been drawing a lot of praise this offseason as a guy who's really developed. You know, C.D. Lamb, he, he, every time he, you know, he talks to media, I think he brings up Charleston Rambo, so... Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see what he can do. He was really skinny going into last year, even skinnier than C.D. Lamb was. And, you know, talking about, you know, Benny Wiley, you know, the physical development that he's been able to make, um, that's going to be huge for him. Yeah, I think I'm really excited about Charleston Rambo because the numbers that he and C.D. were able to put up in high school were incredible. Um, And while C.D. was obviously ready for this level faster I think that um, Rambo can, you know, maybe catch up a bit and is going to be a really valuable addition to this receiving core. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Charleston Rambo was a culprit of, did we talk about earlier in the podcast with, or was that before we got on where a kid taking a visit to Florida expecting to see the beach. I think that might have been pre-podcast. That, yeah, that was our pre Yeah, I think, he, I think he might have done that. I think it was him and, and Trey uh, Brown. Him and Trey Brown definitely did, man. And, yeah, so yeah, so what we, were, we were talking about how get kid, every year we hear kids that go down there thinking, oh, we got to take a visit to Florida just so we can hang out and have fun on the beach. And then they get there and they're like, oh, this this isn't yeah. what we thought. So. we're in Gainesville. It's, it's swamps and <laughs> – north florida badness yeah so 
Good for Charleston Rambo not being great at geography, but, you know, he's pretty good at football. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the next guy, let's talk about A.D. Miller because he's he's kind of an enigma, man. Like he is a guy that his freshman and sophomore year, he, he looked like a guy on the verge of having a breakout, you know, like mm-hmm. he – I remember he was fantastic against Ohio State in 2016. He was one of the few players that actually played well in that game. Um, and he looked like a guy that, like, man, he could be a future NFL player because he's got the size, he's got the speed. Um, and there have been rave reviews about A.D. Miller this offseason for maybe, the I think, the third straight year. So is this the year of A.D. Miller? No. <laughs> I think he uh, okay. can be a decent backup, but no, I don't expect him to ever be a starter unless something goes horribly wrong. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even think he needs to be a – like obviously he's not going to start over CD or Marquise, but just is he a guy that like – because to me right now he's kind of giving me a Jeff Mead vibe because that was kind of the deal with Jeff Mead every yeah. offseason. Oh, Jeff Mead's had a great offseason. He's ready to come in and be consistent and – it just never happened, um, and that's kind of been the story of A.D. Miller. You know, last year he redshirted, so we'll see if that year of development was something that he really needed, and he's able to step up and, yeah, you know, just be a consistent contributor. Because if he can be what he has the potential to be, then like when you take C.D. Lamb off the field or take Hollywood Brown off the field, you're not going to lose a ton. Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously I you're going to lose some, but you're going to have a good receiver out there. And you know, if he can be Jeff Bidette, you know, that's, I think that's a good se- that's a great season for him. So yeah, he can have several hundred yards receiving and a couple of touchdowns. That's a, you know, that's more than I would hope for. Or well, that's I mean, that's what I think he should be shooting for. So just be a productive, good rotation guy. And I think, like you said, he has a good size, but he's also supposed to be one of the fastest guys on the field. So if he can kind of demonstrate that, then that would be really uh, something to get excited about because you know there aren't that many guys that are six three that can run as well as he reportedly can. We just haven't really seen it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, last guy we'll go to is a true freshman, Jaqueline Crawford. Um, he was almost killed by Ronnie Perkins in the spring game on a reverse attempt, um, but luckily he survived. He is. I mean, really, the name of his game is Speed. Um, he's a very small guy. He's probably about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, 170 pounds. And, but he's, he's really fast. Yeah, I think he's in the Marquise Brown mold. I don't know if he's quite that fast, but I think that's the idea with him. Um, you know, just long, 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 deep passes. Get him, get him in space. Get him in where he can use this his speed to his advantage. I wouldn't be surprised if he became a, a returner in some capacity, eventually. Um, yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see him on kickoff returns. Honestly, I have I have a little bit too much concern about his hands. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched right. I watched a, like a game and a half of him in high school, and he had two or three drops in that span of time. So. I'm not 100% in on his hands, but I mean, I think it's something he can obviously develop and, you know, he's probably not going to play a huge role this year at receiver. So he's got time to develop. So if he can come in and make, make his name on special teams, then I'll, yeah. I'll take that as a huge win for us. I'd like, I, I don't know if he, I don't quite know 
this guy's measurables, but I wouldn't be against them using him kind of the way that Georgia used uh, Miko Hardman. He's kind of right. that small, 180-pound, 5'9"-ish guy. Hardman might be a corner, but they used him yeah. a lot in kickoff returns. And I think with the addition of Shane Beamer, um, it's mm-hmm. kind of doing some, some of that game planning and maybe doing things a little bit differently. It would be really interesting to see how they could pr- possibly uh, incorporate someone with Crawford's speed into that those sorts of packages. Yeah, if he is as good as Miko Hardman, then we've got ourselves a football player because Miko Hardman is a stud. Um, yeah, so I think that that should really do it with our with our skill position players. Is there anyone I'm leaving yeah. out or forgetting? Um, geez, I really don't think so. It seems the, like we the have Stoops twins, it. right? The Stoops twins. Let's talk about these fellas. You, Preferred walk. You know what I'm gonna say. I'm going to say it about Drake Stoops especially. Um, he just – he seems like a kid with really high football IQ. You know, a real lunch pail kid. Yeah. yeah. You know, coach on quicker the field. than fast. Yeah. He's a coach on the field. Yeah, quicker than fast. And you know what? You know, He's a grinder. Maybe even deceptively fast. <laughs> yeah. He's a grinder. A great route runner. You know, yeah. he just – he does he does all the little things that helps your team win games. So, um, bright future I- ahead for, for Drake Stoops. And Isaac's there too. And Isaac. And Isaac exists. Isaac exists. Um, You can copy and paste some of the things we said about Drake onto Isaac. We'll see. He, I think Isaac is playing receiver now. Obviously, he's primarily a corner in high school. He saw the writing on the wall as a corner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like there's just are not white cornerbacks. It's just not a thing. It's kind of wild to me. Like the last white cornerback I remember was like. Tulsa had a white cornerback in like 2014 and he was not very good. So yeah. you know, there was one that not, played for uh, USC. You, no USC. Like, uh, USC. what was his name? It was a while ago. It was probably like, Oh, it's like Jason Seahorn. Yes. Yes. Thank you. It's like the last yeah, one yeah. I can actually think of that played corner, not safety corner. It was actually good. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, yeah. Um, so good for Isaac. Maybe he'll. Maybe the position change will. Maybe we'll have two players the caliber of Drake Stoops, and then you can just copy and paste everything we said about him. Yeah. Onto could, Isaac. So. Could Drake I, be OU's version of Hunter Renfro? Yeah. Hunter Renfro, mate. You know, oh, Wes man. Welker. You know, he's. I see a lot of Wes Welker in his game. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, all right. So that God. that'll do it for our, our skill position. Mm-hmm. Breakdown. Um, shout out to Stephen Harris, our loyal listener. Um, we hope you enjoyed this podcast <laughs> about our our f- part one of the roster breakdown, yeah. um, where we did special teams and skill position players. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple things left. I think we're gonna have to leave one of our things because we are running really long. As yeah, we, we are. Would we knew it. Um, but let's talk about recruiting a little bit because, man, it's going good. <laughs> yeah. So we had a whole episode dedicated to recruiting that we had pre- uh, mentioned on the last podcast. Uh, just absolutely never happened. Um, so <laughs> forgot to hit. Forgot we, to hit record. <laughs> I did hit record. The software. Okay, was then out it didn't date. register. Yeah, the Something software was out of date. Um, but 
the result of that is that there's like eight months of recruiting news that we really don't have time to sum up. Can right. somebody go quick on it? So, okay, so right now we sit as the number three ranked team on the Rivals team recruiting rankings. Um, and really the only reason why we're not number two is because A&M has a bunch of, yeah, they have more three-star commits than we do. So um, once we get more commits, we will pass them pretty easily. And then Alabama sits atop at number one. Um, but this highest this, average, this, third highest average star rating, third highest average star rating in the top 10 also besides Alabama and Georgia and Georgia. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're doing a great job, man. We are, that spring game is paying unbelievable dividends. Obviously, um, you know, most people saw the guys that committed at, at the spring game weekend or just after, but I mean, guys like, um, wasn't Joseph Wete a spring game visitor, Nathan? Yes, he visited. He did. He's a guy that committed after that visit. Marcus Major, uh, running back from Millwood, committed. It. He committed. He was on that visit. And then most recently, Jaden Davis, cornerback from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida, one of the best programs in the country, just committed, I think, on July 18th. So, um, we're doing really, really well. We're up to 16 commits now, which is kind of wild because um, we're almost done with the class. Yeah. We're almost on to 2020. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's going really well. And there's, I mean, there's really good news at pretty much every position. Um, yeah. And this uh, just this coming weekend, I believe we have uh, the – annual barbecue, which is kind of the other biggest um, recruiting event of the year. Mm -hmm. So it'll be really interesting to see what sort of um, momentum they can continue with that. And I think equally as for the current class, the 2019 class, this is something where they do a lot of the groundwork for the subsequent class, the 2020 class. So I know there's a lot of guys that are going to be in for that as well. So, I, I mean, with Lincoln, it's just... It's something that we've talked about, you know, kind of at length before, but there's just such more, so much more of an evident plan. And you can kind of see um, the organization and everything just at a different level, and it's really paying dividends. Um, and this is the way, when it, whenever I know we talked about this you know, two years ago after the 2017 class signed, if whenever you start stacking these classes on one on top of the other, that's whenever you start to have the sort of depth and talent that's necessary to really um, pay, have an annual shot at the, uh, at the playoff and actually winning the thing instead of just going there and hoping that a generational player can get you over the hump. Yeah. Because from 1 to 85, OU is not on the same level as Alabama. But you know, if, with these classes each year, they have a much um, closer um, chance of being able to hang in those games and actually win them two straight games against really talented teams. Um, and so that's just really exciting to kind of see it building each year. Yeah. Um, something we've talked about on the podcast is the, um, the, uh, um, oh geez, I forgot his name. What's the name of the uh, recruiting guy at SB nation? Oh, bud. Yeah. Bud. <laughs> I mean, I know. I don't remember his last name, but what is his last name, Alex? <laughs> 
Elliot, Bud Elliot. But yeah, Sorry. Like the I butt. was I was talking, but I had put myself on mute. Sorry. Of course. All right. Yeah. So the um, the Bud Elliot um, sort of matrix of a certain like necessary star rating um, to win a national championship. Not like necessary, but like it's been proven out that like teams that recruit have to recruit this well to win a national championship in recent history. Mm-hmm. Um, and OU has not been at that level for the past few years and is now pretty much at that level. Um, yeah, they they just joined this year. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. It's like the blue chip ratio, I think, is the term yeah, for it. Yeah, blue chip ratio. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were just under last year, and with the 2018 class, we've now joined that group. Yeah. So that's, I mean, this is bright news. These are, we're, we're doing really well in recruiting. Something that is certainly helping recruiting is the um, the new Jordan deal, um, which everyone can talk about how they feel about having a basketball player as the logo on the uniforms. It, that doesn't matter, um, especially when you look at the fact that like guys are going to be wearing Jordan 11 cleats, um, which are sick. <laughs> like, let's just talk about the Jordan 11 cleats for a bit. They are the sexiest thing I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> If every player on the team wears those cleats this year, I feel comfortable saying we're going to win the national championship. Yeah. Like they are that good. Yeah. They so, are sexy. Yeah. What's kind of funny is to see the old players, the ex players on Twitter requesting their, you know, their, their care packages, you know, to yeah, get, exactly. get some of the gear of themselves. I, I saw Kenny Stills and mm-hmm. Zach Sanchez and some others, uh, Jalen Saunders tweeting about it earlier. Yeah, I saw Dimitri Flowers was like, give me stuff in XL and a size of 11 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, they're exciting. I mean, the Jordan 11 in particular is, you know, it's one of the most famous shoes of all time. It was the shoe Jordan wore in Space Jam. Um, it was one of the first basketball shoes to use patent leather. Um, they're just really cool, and it's a really iconic shoe. And now, like, our players will be wearing them as cleats. Yeah. I mean, look at us coming at you with shoe knowledge. You don't get that from every college football podcast. I guarantee you that. Versatile. Versatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, no, that's really exciting. Last thing with recruiting I want to mention, obviously keep your eyes peeled for some eyeballs this weekend. Um, it's going to be a huge weekend. Tons of big guys coming in. Um. One guy that is just – he's really the biggest player left on the board right now, and he's just a guy that if you're Oklahoma, you've got to find a way to get. Um, and I'm, I'm referring to Daxton Hill from Booker T. Washington up until – Brother of Justice Hill, who we know is a running back at Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not sure – that I remember wanting a recruit more than I want Daxton Hill to commit to Oklahoma. He would be on the very, very short list. I can't yeah. immediately think of anyone else. Just Trey Young. Because of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, just, it's probably, yeah, it's probably Trey Young. Just because of all the different reasons, you know, it's he plays a position of definite need. Probably is probably the most uh, talent depleted i don't know if that's the right word but the position that could most use a five-star guy of his caliber 
on the roster. Yeah. He's in state. Um, it, this is kind of personal or not personal, but this is, it would be really funny if he spurned Oklahoma state. So that, that's yeah. just a, <laughs> maybe that's not an on the field reason, but it'd be a funny reason. Yeah. You know, there's just so many things that makes him a, you can't let guys like of his caliber go out of state. Cause Oklahoma just doesn't produce them that often. The last defensive five-star that the state of Oklahoma produced was Gerald McCoy 10 over 10 years ago. So right. you can't let these guys slip out of state. And so if he goes to Alabama or if he goes to Michigan, it's just, it's you can find sting. other guys that are on a, the rung below, but it would just, re, yeah, like you said, it would really sting to let someone of that uh, ability slip out of your home state. Yeah, and it's made even worse because we're a year removed from losing Josh Proctor to Ohio State. Yeah. And he wa- he wasn't quite the level Dax is, but he was a top yeah. 100 talent, you know. So yeah, he was close. He's really good, so. Yeah. And, you know, so you don't want to let the top player in the state get out two years in a row, you know. So especially on defense. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Of course. And like more on Dax Hill, like it's not just that, like, oh, he's a really great safety. Like, Josh Proctor, like, he had a lot of physical tools, and, like, he was a really good football player, and he knew how to play. Daxton Hill is one of the best athletes in the country. The dude was clocked at a 4-3-40 electric time. Like, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous. This That's, like, elite, elite speed. Like, that would have been the fastest safety at the Combine last year, I'm sure. Um, so like he is that kind of player. We've talked about Buki a ton. He is a higher, he's definitely a higher caliber athlete than Buki, you know? So that's the kind of player we're talking about here. Yeah. Buki is one of those guys that seems to thrive on just how smart he is and his anticipation, just kind of football IQ. I'm not sure that Buki as an athlete, um, is, I don't want to be disrespectful, but is even in the really the same ballpark as Dax because I think Dax is one of those guys that goes to the opening and sets you know records on that spark measurement that they take. He's one of those types of guys. Um, he's a four 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 sub four four forty you know six one hundred eighty five pounds. He's got he checks about every box you can check. So I mean, no one's infallible. You know, there's always a bust potential, but I think with him, as far as athletically he's about everything you're looking for in a high school prospect. It's just, can he take it to the next level? And, you know, he's someone that if he were to come to OU, I think with the current depth situation at that particular position, he would be on the field very, very quickly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, cause right now we're, we're having to convert a lot of corners to safety mm-hmm. and I am not against that. I really like converting corners to safety, but um, you know, so it's, but since we're having to do that, it's obviously not a position we are, like you said, we're not deep at that spot. Um, so huge, huge, huge get um, if we can get him. He's His commitment date is coming up relatively soon. Nobody really knows. Um, yeah. He's supposedly, maybe, possibly, I don't know, coming to the barbecue this weekend. We'll have to see. Yeah. <laughs> it's we'll definitely a good watch. sign if he's there. Oh, yeah, for Hashtag sure. Hashtag Dax like, watch. <laughs> yeah. No, we could potentially have a huge weekend and get like three or four commits. But if Dax Hill doesn't show up, I'm going to be kind of disappointed with it, honestly. You know, it's going to be a bit of a letdown if we wind up not getting Dax on campus because that probably would speak to where we sit with him on his in his recruitment. 
Yeah. I, um, everyone says he's kind of he kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. You know, he's a, he's a little bit atypical for a recruit, but it's hard to envision someone committing to a school that they haven't visited the entire off season. Um, not, not to say it couldn't happen, but it would be a bit of a surprise. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I think that's a good place to leave this podcast. I mean, it's been, you know, like an hour and a half now. So yeah, um, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, I know I enjoyed creating it for you. Absolutely. Uh, um, any, any last thoughts? Um, I'm ready for football season. Yeah. Bryce Young, 2020 quarterback Bryce Young announcing Wednesday. So potentially by the next time you all create some content, we'll know if OU has a 2020 quarterback committed or not. Yeah. That's true. No, this definitely, is a we're definitely going to have happen. to do one next week, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, Wrapping we'll, up we'll the barbecue. Get, we, yeah, wrap up the barbecue. We'll go on to our – we'll get into the trenches um with our position previews um now that we're kind of back ryan's got everything he needs to make podcasts now now that he's up yeah. in oregon um, yeah, i got my setup we're gone it's not yeah, that we're gone. <laughs> what, 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 what's your temperature up there today ryan yeah it got warmer this it's warmer now it's uh a really sweltering 82 degrees um oh, too wow yeah it should get up yeah, to so 90 I... around six but Okay. Yeah, it's currently 94 in Norman, so it's not yes. it's not horrible. A couple of days ago, it was it was horrendous, but today it's not Thursday, too bad. Friday is terrible. It's yeah. Uh, quick Google says it is 86 in Tulsa, so it's I can kind of see it's cloudy out, so that might be helping out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, if Ryan, you want to wrap it up? Absolutely. So, thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on Podbean. Um, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Oklahoma underscore drill. Um, and, you know, if you enjoy it, leave a review. Um, you know, let us know what you thought. Let us know if you have any questions. Um, and we'll see you next week.